if all of your sows are resistant to E. coli, you lose the ability to get those maternal antibodies into your piglets for your pigs that are still susceptible to E. coli. Welcome to Inside the Helix, a podcast presentation from DNA Genetics. Throughout this series, we focus on all things that matter to the pork industry. You'll hear from our award-winning team of geneticists, veterinarians, animal care providers, nutritionists, and other industry-leading experts. We'll explore pig production from genetic improvement all the way to meat quality. Listen along as we take a deep dive inside the DNA Helix. Selection for E. coli resistance is our topic on episode four of Inside the Helix. My guest today is Dr. Emily Mao Swinford. She's a geneticist here with DNA Genetics. Thanks for joining us today, Emily. Thank you, Curtis. It's great to be here. Now, Emily, this is a complicated topic, but before we get into the topic, let's talk a little bit about you. When did you develop your interest in the swine industry? Oh, I uh, started being interested in the swine industry when I was 10 years old because I wanted to show cattle in 4-H, and my mom said no because I was a whopping 70 pounds. (laughs) My dad's solution to appease his 10-year-old daughter was to buy her pigs, and that is how I entered the swine industry. And really interested in the swine industry ever since. Yeah, I've always had a passion for agriculture. I thought there for a while I'd work with plants, but ended up back in the swine industry in grad school and never looked back. So yeah, let's talk about your educational background a little bit. Where did you go get your undergrad and PhD? I got my undergrad in Missouri at Truman State. They have a small ag program, which was perfect for me coming from small town Iowa. And then I pursued my PhD at Iowa State University and got back home. (laughs) Very good. And you've been with DNA Genetics now for how long? I've been with the company for a little over five years, straight out of grad school. Very good. And so our topic today, going back to that E. coli resistance, this is something I feel like we hear a lot about, but maybe define what E. coli is, what it is, and maybe how prevalent it is. So E. coli is very prevalent. It's found on all farms because it's ubiquitous. Generally, it's not harmful, but there are certain strains of E. coli, which is a gram-negative bacterium that infects the guts of pigs that cause severe illnesses, even death. So let's talk about those strains. How many strains of E. coli really do exist in the United States and North America and in the pig production system? And really what phases of development are most at risk, I guess? So there are two primary strains of E. coli that cause illnesses are highly pathogenic in the U.S. And those are F4, which is also known as K88, and F18. And then F4 primarily infects our pre-weaned pigs, while F18 primarily infects weanling pigs or nursery-aged pigs. So there, there are other strains, though, but those are kind of those two ones that we're really worried about. Yeah, those are the big two. All right. So how does E. coli infect maybe the intestinal tract of pigs? Uh, so first, it has to get in. Like any pathogen, it has to get through the first line of defense. And so E. coli is ingested, so this can be done through nose-to-nose direct contact between a sick pig and a healthy pig, but it can also be ingested through the feces, which makes it really easy to spread around a farm because it travels on boots and clothing and can go from room to room or crate to crate. Now that we know how E. coli really gets into the pig, how does it infect or cause sickness? Yeah, so after the pig has ingested the E. coli bacterium, 
it gets into the gut where it binds to the epithelial cells of the pig's digestive tract. And that's primarily in the small intestine of the digestive tract. And then it binds to the pili or the pillus of the brush border of the small intestine. And then from there, it hangs on essentially and produces toxins. And it's that toxins that the E. coli is producing that are actually harmful to the pig. As we were looking at maybe a sick pig, what symptoms would tell us that we've got a, a pig that's impacted by E. coli? Yeah, the most common symptoms of E. coli infection would be diarrhea, scours, dehydration. You can see some acidosis as well. And the worst symptom of all is ultimately death. Now, Emily, are there any management or nutritional methods that are available that would help treat, mitigate, and feed pigs infected with E. coli? And if, if so, what really are these methods? There are absolutely many management practices that can help with pig health, production, reduce economic and death loss. When your pigs are infected with E. coli, I'm not a veterinarian or a nutritionist, so I will not speak to the efficacy of these methods, but you could utilize vaccines or make nutritional diet adjustments, such as inclusion of zinc oxide. There are also many management practices that you could instigate, such as increased sanitation and cleaning of water lines. And then finally, the topic that I could actually speak to is that there is genetic resistance that we can select for via selection to increase the number of pigs in a population that are resistant to E. coli. Yeah, let's talk about that resistance and susceptibility. How many strains of E. coli are linked to genetic resistance slash susceptibility? To date, genetic resistance um, has been identified for both of the primary strains in the U.S. and North American market, F4 or K88 and F18 E. coli strains. And the work supporting that genetic resistance for both strains spans over 30 years. So how does this genetic resistance work? So unfortunately, the mode of action is actually through a completely dominant gene action, which means the pigs that have at least one dominant allele will be susceptible or get sick with E. coli infections and that in order for a pig to be genetically resistant and not get sick with E. coli, they have to have two copies of the recessive allele. And that applies to both F4 and F18 E. coli strains. Emily, do we know which genes or genomic regions confer genetic resistance to this F4 and F18, these, these strains? Absolutely. So in the 30 years of research, researchers have fine-tuned the genomic regions that conferred the resistance to E. coli. And for F4, that region has been found on chromosome 13 near Benga Base 144. Interestingly, over the years, several studies have been conducted to find the causative mutation, which would be what gene was changed that makes some pigs susceptible and some pigs resistant. But to date, we still haven't found the causative. Right, right. That's that's super interesting how they're able to kind of dial down and find out that information. What about for F18 as we're looking at, at that strain? So F18, we also know that the genomic region associated with resistance or susceptibility, depending on how you look at it, is on chromosome 6 between megabases 30 to 42. This one, we do know the causative or have a very 
strong indication of the causative, there is a missense mutation, which essentially means that a base pair was changed that caused a change in the amino acid, which gets incorporated into the protein from the foot one gene. And so that missense mutation doesn't allow F18 E. coli to bind to the pig's gut wall. Now, Emily, I think there's a reason that I didn't go into genetics because a lot of this sounds way over my head here. But basically what I'm gathering from your discussion so far is that you're able to kind of map out where some of these strains are. How can producers really benefit then from terminal bores that are resistant to E. coli? Oh, that's a great question. We've received this question from many producers, so this is a a great topic. So if you have a boar that is resistant to E. coli, that means he has two copies of the recessive allele and he will pass on that copy 100% of the time. So every time he is giving an allele that confers resistance, but it really comes down to the sow because we don't have a good idea in the industry how frequent the resistance alleles are in the average sow herd. And so for a piglet to be resistant, they have to receive a resistance allele from both mom and dad. If they get even one copy of the dominant allele, they will be susceptible and therefore get sick in the presence of E. coli of the two strains, F4 and F18. Again, Emily, I'm not a geneticist. So break this down a little bit further to me. What does this mean to me as a producer? Okay, so let's go through some examples so that we can talk about like what it might mean in different sow populations. For example, if we have a sow population where the dominant allele, so the one that if the pigs get it, they get sick, and the resistance allele or recessive allele, the one that if the pigs get two copies of it, they don't get sick. Let's say that they're both found in equal frequency, which means out of all of the alleles in the whole population, 50% of them are dominant, so susceptible alleles, and 50% of them are resistance alleles. If that's the frequency in our sow population, then the sows themselves, 25% of them would be resistant to E. coli infection. 50% of them would be what we call carriers, which means that they have one copy of the resistance allele and one copy of the susceptible allele. And then finally, the other 25% would have two copies of the dominant allele or the susceptible to E. coli allele. So now that we know what this sow population would look like in terms of resistance and susceptibility to E. coli, we really care about the progeny that come from the matings. If those sows are mated to boars that are 100% resistant, to E. coli, then of the progeny they produce, 50% of them will be resistant to E. coli, while the other 50% would get at least one dominant allele and be susceptible. So if you notice from the beginning of this example, the frequency of the resistance allele in the sow population was 50%. And that led to 50% of the progeny also being resistant when you mate those sows to boars that are resistant to E. coli. So So, if I take this and I uh, expand this to a different example where maybe now the resistance allele isn't as common, 
and it's only present 25% of the time in the sow population, then for our sow herd, we would be looking at only 6.25% of the sows that would be resistant to E. coli infection themselves. And the remaining 93.75% of the sow herd would be susceptible to E. coli infection. And how that flows down to their progeny would be that only 25% of their progeny would be resistant to E. coli infection, while 75% of their progeny would be susceptible. Now, if we break that down one more time into a sow population where the resistance allele is present 75% of the time um, and flow that into the progeny, we're looking at progeny that are 75% resistant to E. coli and 25% susceptible to E. coli. And so if you go from those three examples, the, the frequency of the resistance allele in the sow population went from 50% to 25% to 75%. And that translated directly to the percentage of piglets that would also be resistant. So the more common the resistance allele, the more progeny on farm you're going to have that are also resistant. That's so fascinating to me that we can use genetics in kind of helping manage our potential E. coli problems and those kinds of things. So then as you're looking at it, what would an ideal sow population look like for E. coli resistance? It would be great if we could have 100% resistance in yeah, our commercial absolutely. pigs. <laughs> absolutely. Unfortunately, we really don't know what frequency these alleles are at in our commercial sow populations. Um, so as an industry, this could be a quite lofty goal. We really don't have a good idea on that to date. Another thing to consider with 100% resistance is that if all of your sows are resistant to E. coli, they no longer have the ability to pass on maternal antibodies through milk and colostrum to their piglets, particularly for F4, which impacts pre-weaned pigs, you lose the ability to get those maternal antibodies into your piglets for your pigs that are still susceptible to E. coli. So there's definitely something to think about in terms of how do you get from where we are today, which we don't really know, to 100% resistance in your sow population because you are going to lose one form of defense for your susceptible piglets. If we wanted to think about maybe an intermediate solution and maybe a little bit more realistic, we could hope to get all of their sows to be heterozygous or what I called carriers earlier for E. coli resistance. So that means they have one copy of the susceptible allele and one copy of the recessive allele. The sows themselves would be susceptible to E. coli infection and therefore able to pass on maternal antibodies. But in that situation, if we mated to boars that were 100% resistant, they're homozygous recessive for these E. coli genes, then we would end up with progeny in our commercial populations that are 50% susceptible to E. coli and 50% resistant. So this is something that DNA genetics is looking at. So what are the next steps that DNA genetics is specifically looking at related to genetic resistance of E. coli? So to date, DNA genetics is actively working on strategies for E. coli resistance in our purebred populations. 
Um, and it really fits into our overall goal to increase disease resilience and robustness in our populations and also in our full program commercial pigs. Um, as part of that, we monitor the allele frequencies at these uh, both F4 and F18 in our purebred populations. And this is really great because it allows us to make predictions about frequencies in commercial populations for customers that are using a full program DNA pig. So for customers that are out there that are wondering if they could purchase E. coli resistant semen from DNA Genetics today, what do you tell them? Today, DNA does not currently label a product as 100% resistant to E. coli. But as I said, we monitor E. coli resistance and other pathogens as well in our purebred lines. And our primary focus is on improving robustness, which includes resistance to E. coli and other pathogens. And this continues to be a key part of our selection program. What if we've got customers out there that are just really struggling with E. coli? It's just something they can't seem to nip in the bud. So if E. coli is really causing you headaches in your system, please feel free to reach out to your national account leader. And we would certainly be happy to go and do a deeper dive and deeper look at our populations, our expected resistance, and potential genetic tools that we can utilize to help you. Very good information. Thank you very much, Emily. Thank you very much. This was fun. It was a lot of fun. On our next episode, Dr. Tom Rathji will talk about that ever controversial topic, gene editing, and its role in genetic programs, such as developing a PERS-resistant pig. If you've got questions you'd like me to ask Dr. Rathji on this topic, visit us online at dnaswinegenetics.com or check out any of our social media channels. Emily, thanks again for your time today, and I look forward to speaking with you again. Wonderful. Thank you, Curtis. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Helix, presented by DNA Genetics. Inside the Helix is released every other Tuesday and is focused on what matters to the swine industry. To catch up on previous episodes, visit us online at dnaswinegenetics.com or find us at your favorite podcast streaming platforms. You can also keep up with DNA Genetics throughout the year by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. For Inside the Helix, I'm Curtis Harms. Thank you.